Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, even more curious yeah. to go back and listen to what y'all said about Swift. We said Elm a lot. I remember that. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Some things never change, though. Don't you guys still say Elm a lot? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, everybody, welcome to the 200th episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am still in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in, where are you, Jaime? Atlanta, Georgia, right? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Hotlanta. How's it going, by the way? Hotlanta. All right. And as usual, we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And to celebrate this number, uh, which is just a number, is Greg Hio in San Francisco, California. Hello. And at the end of the internet there, we have Tammy Coron down in West Tennessee. Hey, now. Hey, now. All righty, then. So here we are, 200 episodes. What do you think? Woo! Woo! Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Quite the Canadians milestone. get excited. The Americans go, yep, that's a lot. Huh? Because we hit our bicentennial like in the 70s, so we're, we're, it's kind of old hat now. Yeah, that's true. We got, what do we got, another uh, we got 49 to years ours, to right? go? Um, yeah, well, right? we just had our sesquicentennial, so yeah, we got like another 25 years, something like that, don't we? Yeah. What was yeah. sesquicentennial? Was it 175? I thought 150. it was 150. 150, okay. I forget. Last now. year was 150. All right, 150. So we got 25 yeah. years until the next, uh, I think we looked it up, what 175 was, I forget what it is now, but it's an even better word than sesquicentennial. Bison goof and laugh. Every time. Mm-hmm. I come on this show, y'all bring up numbers and math and start doing equations. It's crazy. Mm, it's fun stuff. Yes. Well, yeah. it is our bicentennial, Tammy. So there you go. Relative relative dates. All right. So I guess should we go to the Ask MTJC? Do we have anything uh, worth talking about over there? I'm, I didn't I'm see anything new. Well, the one thing we had was Greg's comment about the Mac administration. 
that's right. I had some follow up myself when Tim said, "I quote." Well, actually, I don't quote, but he said they don't talk about <laughs> Mac administration and device stuff anymore. Or you use the word Mac administration, and there was still one talk. IT which stuff. I yeah, I was, What's yeah. new in managing Apple devices? Which sounds exciting. Total sarcasm there. Uh, session number three hundred two. <laughs> so if you're doing stuff with you know managing phones and Macs and TVs and MDM and all that fun stuff, then uh, they do still have a session on that stuff. Well, actually, well, this has got to be the first time because they used to actually have a specific IT track, right? Because they had, I think they had Mac and mm. probably iPod and I and IT. This is before the iPhone that they used to have that track, and then it just kind of slowly disappeared, right? So yeah, I believe it. The scope is probably a lot bigger, um, whereas now it's very developer focused. I can believe when it used to be like sixty percent developers, twenty percent designers, twenty percent you know IT folks or something like that. I can see that. Yeah, and our other one, our other um, Ask MTGC was of course my post asking for people to contribute to this particular show, asking any questions they wanted. So I put hashtag bicentennial, which I believe is correct. Hashtag it's just a number. Hashtag it's more than just a number. <laughs> and self-driving at home. Um, so I don't know if you guys, I think I posted a couple of weeks ago or last week's episode of uh, Under the Influence was about self-driving cars and the disruption it's going to have in the whole car industry. Did you guys catch any of that stuff? Like all the jobs are going to disappear and you know, you'll be able to cook your dinner while you're being driven home kind of thing. So you will actually be driving at home. <laughs> I did not see that, but that means Jaime will have to come up with a different catchphrase for episode yeah, so 300. self-driving at home. Yeah, for those yeah. of you being shuttled around by your autonomous robot car. Nah, that's too long. That's too long. But you have another 100 episodes to come up with something shorter. <laughs> right. So what are we going to call self-driving cars? We can't like you know like we have the Roomba for for our little vacuum cleaner guys, and there's going to be the same one word that's going to rep- represent them. Like we have Uber, right, and Lyft. Well, if you listen to um, Hello Internet, uh, the one of the hosts there, CGP Gray, I think he was pushing for the word autos. Uh, sort autos. Of like, I guess like you know, mm. I think in the old days when they, they called them automobiles, I think some people called them autos, but now we call them cars. But um, right, yeah. the idea that they're like automatically driving, so going with the word autos, which I kind of like i don't know if it's going to catch on but that was one suggestion that i've heard before yeah it's okay. funny you know you mentioned that because i do remember now that you said that, i haven't called it that but i do remember them being called autos back when yeah, i was a kid right? was, yeah i mean i, I remember that too it was that long ago no no i don't mean like a hundred years ago like yeah. you know i'm pretty <laughs> no, sure no, within no. my yeah. lifetime i've heard that word but it's just kind right. of got uh pushed aside for you know cars sure. and vehicles if you want to be more general but you don't hear people say autos these days anymore that's why it's a it's a good name because it's like an auto auto meaning like self like it's self-driving so i think it fits I don't know what's going to catch on, though. Double entendre. Yeah. Well, the gist of the the episode was all about how the horse, you know, the horse basically got replaced by the car. And so in the same sense, the self-driving car is going to replace a whole lot of industries like taxis and limos. Maybe we should call them selfies. (laughs) Selfies. Ooh, hey. (laughs) That's not being used by anything for anything. Right. Anything of importance, that is. I'd be interested. Cruisers. I'm thinking of the company Cruise that does the self-driving cars, which I'm just reminded of. And I think they, uh, they moved into San Francisco, I heard. They're in. Uh, in my neighborhood here, but the, the word cruisers, what do you think? I know it's like oh. police cruiser or something, but maybe that could be yeah. their brand of uh, self-driving cars. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I wonder so, you know, if they were called horseless carriages at some point uh, as, a, as a way to describe things, just like electronic mail for email. Um, at some point, I assume that autonomous vehicles will just be vehicles or just cars because, of course, every one of them is self-driving and you'll have to go the opposite direction and say, oh, this is an old school manually driving car. You have to specify the, the oddity away from them. I wonder when that crossing point will happen. Yeah. So what do you think the irony would be if this turned into a um, podcast about cars? <laughs> 
Accidentally, of course. <laughs> Accidental guard podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on to the FU, Tim. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, speaking of FU, um, we've talked on this show a number of times about this particular subject, and I have an opinion on it, and I think we all do. But Rene Ritchie just posted a, 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 a video about, which basically is titled, Does Apple Even Care About the Mac, right? Um, and he goes through a number of different points on on how, you know, and, and it makes sense that, you know, the iPhone market is such a big part. I think it's 60, 65% of Apple's income or revenue. Um, and the Mac is obviously quite a bit sm- smaller than that. And he kind of sort of said that it's like um, uh, the Mac is kind of this, or one one platform, you know, iPhone versus versus the Mac is uh, is the one is like the responsible, you know, caring individual, and the other one's Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> So, uh, and of course, you know, the video of her fl- falling flat on her face, right? Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting piece. So just if you're if you're curious about it, he goes through the different cases of, of where you know the state of uh, the Mac is with Apple. It's, they kind of don't really talk about it very much, and you know, and of course, the like the mini. I think Greg, you were you and I were exchanging tweets the other day about the mini um, having not been updated in the last five years, right? Mm. So one of my last generation minis just came back to my house a couple of weeks ago and uh, I went to try and throw um, Mojave on it as a test device and of course it's too old to even run Mojave so hmm. how old is the mini uh, I don't have to just log into it to see um, it's got to be I think it's around five years old maybe 2013 2011 somewhere around there hmm. okay. that says a lot because I have a 2012 model and can you run Mojave on it I did not check because it is slowly degrading and dying like um, remember uh. back in the day probably and to 20 episodes ago, I said, hey, here are all these cool tips and tricks for when you're having trouble starting up your Mac, and here are all these keyboard shortcuts. That's how I learned that particular pick of the week, because my my Mac Mini would, after upgrading to my Sierra, I want to say, or maybe even Sierra, I'm not sure how long I've been living with this, would just boot up to a white screen. It wouldn't do anything at all until I told Mm -hmm. it to go into uh, safe mode, recovery mode, whatever the the bypass is. Yeah, so for those of you driving at home, this is a mid-2011 Mac Mini, so I'm not sure what the last generation of Mac Minis is technically. They said five years ago, so five would be 13, right? And I think we talked about this. So 20, 2012 is the cutoff for Mojave on um, on hardware, and then 2011 for phones. Is that right? Well, certainly 2012 for MacBook Pros because apparently mine just barely meets the cut. I've not actually tried installing Mojave, so I don't know that for sure. But every article I read, they believe that uh, I'll be able to run this into the ground with Mojave before hopefully updating to a brand new MacBook Pro in the fall. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm actually debating what to do with my iPad right now. I'm waiting for waiting for the announcements. When do we think we're going to announce iPads? September, we think? That's usually the second event, right? You get the first oh, event watch? in September for phones, and then the second event in, like, October for iPads. That's usually what happens, isn't it? Yeah, they did break that pattern fairly recently. If it wasn't last year, it was the year before. I think whenever they had kind of a, you know, like an S model type of year, we're like, hey, it's not quite as sexy to fill up as you, you know what this thing looks like. And so let's go ahead and throw in an iPad bump or something. That's possible possible this year yeah okay well yeah and we're waiting for a mac pro are we waiting for a mac pro update or did we just got one last year ago we got an iMac no we're waiting for the new new mac pro we're supposed to be getting a mac pro in 2019 at some point oh right okay okay all right well as a bit of follow-up here we were talking oh just before we move on i wanted to mention that last week i was talking about um that uh, idea if you want to run mojave on your mac um you can create a small partition on um using disk utility on high sierra 
and uh, Sierra and High Sierra, where basically um, the way that H- a- APFS and H- HFS Plus are set up, you can actually um, repartition your drive as long as you have enough free space um, without you know, erasing the entire thing like you used to do back in the day. But and if you put Mojave on that partition, you can hold the option key down when you boot from it. But one thing I hadn't thought about, um, which we used to do way back in the day was, and you can still do it today, is you can, um, if you go to your user account setting in in uh, system preferences, you can, I think it's command click or control click on the on your name and you'll get like an advanced set of options. You can have the Mojave install point to your home directory on your original partition. So you, all your files and everything would be there and you know anything you save would go over to that partition. Um, the only risk you have is you might break a, a preference or two, like if maybe the display preference won't be compatible between the two OSs. But that way you could test out Mojave for yourself, but without jeopardizing, you know, your whole entire machine or whatever. And then if you just reboot normally, you would go back into your, your High Sierra or Sierra partition. So just uh, some ideas. Actually, I guess it would have to be High Sierra because I'm sure Mojave requires APFS. But then again, I could be wrong about that too. Hmm. More follow-up. <laughs> Any thoughts? No? I did the trick of not partition. I think I went to Disk Utility and I yeah. hit the button to make a partition as I usually would. And it came up with this dialogue saying, did you know that APFS uses shared volume something something or other and you don't need to do a partition so unless you're really sure uh, you know click here and I was like okay and I clicked there and I did the uh-huh. thing where it does like an auto resizing volume within the yeah, that's volume it, yeah. yeah and so it, it did tell me not to do the partition it was like this is probably not what you want it was pretty good about giving you a warning it was still kind of incomprehensible if I were like a normal person a non-nerd I would have been like I don't know what this means probably I wouldn't be in disk utility though but well, uh, that's yeah, actually it does true, guide you, know, you there yeah now that you say that since I've been playing around with, with Macs for the last year or so at, at the office I have noticed that um, when you do a, a High Sierra install, it actually does create separate partitions now. So maybe maybe that's what they're talking about. Mm. No, I think this is like the whole disk is like the volume and it makes logical volumes. So like the concept of partitions is not really... Right, not You don't have anymore, to do it that yeah. way anymore because it you didn't have to give it a fixed size. You could just say uh, initial size, optional, maximum size, optional. So if you didn't give it any of those, it would just like auto-grow the um, secondary partition, I'm making air quotes partition, to fill whatever free space you had. Uh, so you yeah, didn't even well, have they, to give it the size if you didn't want well, to. Well, they've had this concept of sparse disks for a while, and this is how Time Machine works, right, where you, you basically start off with, you just designate a volume, and then as that volume grows, it just, uh, the, the, the the amount of space it occupies grows as well with the content. That's a little right? different, though. You still have to say, I want a four gigabyte disk image. It just doesn't write four gigabytes of zeros to the disk. It says, well, this is empty, so I'll just write, you know, ten bytes. And then you as sure? you no, add I to think it. Time machine, time machine partitions are, are spart- what they call a sparse image, and you don't define a size. You don't set an upper limit is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I'm. Uh, oh, actually, I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure, like, original, back in the old days, when they first initialized yeah. no, first no, no, yeah, sparse images, right, yeah. they were like that. Like, you had to say, because in the header of the DMG file, it needs to know how big it is. Uh, right. So you had yep. to give it the size, but it wouldn't. It just wouldn't write the whole thing of zeros. Uh, this seems right, to be different. Right. They called it a volume. Anyway, I don't know the detail, so I don't get too yeah. much into yeah, it. Yeah, you're but, right. Um, there was, like, like I said, I, when I looked at it and I was trying to repartition my, my or re-erase erase my drive and start again, like, with a fresh install, Mm-hmm. I noticed that that it had created other other divisions, let's call it, or not quite partitions, but there are other, like you said, logical volumes of some type, right? Kind of like, I mean, like in Unix, we used to have you know the scratch disk and and the root volume, and then you'd have the user space, the home directories, right, and whatever. And you didn't, you know, your OS would go into the root partition, and the swap was used for you know virtual memory and that kind of stuff, like working space for the computer. And then yeah, but uh, Apple's kind of homogenized all of that, I guess, with with uh, our current OS. So yeah, cool. Um, so. We were just talking about before before the show. So by the time the show airs, my top ten WDC twenty eighteen video 
article will be out. And so we were just going to go through and uh, list off the videos that made the picks. We polled a bunch of people. I think Mark was involved. Harmony was involved. I don't know if Greg voted for some of these or not. I filled in the Google Doc, I remember. Did you? Well, thank you very much. Yes. Well, actually, I can tell you who got credited here. Let's do that. How about that? Well, special thanks to Mark Rubin, Erasmus Sten, Ray Fix, Darren Ferguson, Joey Davila, Scott McAllister, Jean-Pierre Distiller, or Distillet, I guess, uh, Josh Steele, Antonio Bello, Greg Hio. Oh, that's you. Quad, of course. Uh, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer extraordinaire. I know who that is. That'd uh, be me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I wonder if you, they're going to complain about that one. Uh, Drew Freeman, uh, Luke Farm, and Carol, Carolyn, Caroline Begbie and Leah. I didn't get Leah's last name. but the is people that who Leah Marlowe? I think so, yeah. And then the people who contributed to the actual article are Ish. Thank you, Ish. Uh, Tom Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer? Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Tom. Um, Arthur Garanza. Uh, Sackett Friodija. Uh, Darren Ferguson again. David Okun from IBM. Uh, Cosmian Papa. Carolyn Begbie again. Lorenzo Borro. Uh, Carol. Carol. Uh, Caesar Worth. Mark Powell. Ray Fix, Dan Beauregard, hey Dan, Dan uh, Sean Marston, of course, uh, Shai Milasi, Lipolasi Marsetti, uh, Sarah Wright, um, Alexis Gallagher, I wonder who he is, and uh, Greg Lowe, or sorry, Calvin Lowe. But anyway, so here are the picks. So obviously the one we always pick at the top of the top of the thing is always the Platform State of the Union. If you're not going to watch any video at all, that's the one you watch, right? Uh, so number two, in, this is in terms of votes. Number two was What's New in, Co- in Coco Touch. Uh, number three was Introduction to Series Shortcuts. Uh, number four was Introducing Create ML. Number five was Swift Generics. And then the last uh, four positions were all tied for seventh place. Or is that seven? No, six. <laughs> Sorry, Sixth is advanced debugging uh, with Xcode and LLDB. So seven, eight, nine, and ten were tr- were tied. I'm sorry, I'm bad at math. Um, and that was getting the most out of uh, playgrounds in Xcode was one. Another one was building faster in Xcode. And the last two were high performance auto layout. And the very final one was embracing algorithms with Krusty and Dave Abrams. Mm. What do you guys think of those? Interesting choice choices. I think I've watched choice. maybe a handful of them, uh, the yeah. ones that you listed. But yeah, I still have a bunch on my list. I've been watching a lot of the design ones, actually, like the intentional design and uh, fluid interfaces. I've been watching some of those because I almost never watch those ones, and I figure I should expand my horizons. <laughs> I like the fluid interface one, but it was more about how Apple dealt with the iPhone ten, right? Yeah. And gestures yeah. and things like that, right? Yeah, that one I thought was okay. The intentional design one, I don't think I liked or sorry, yeah. was it intentional design? No, qualities of great design. That was the one where, uh, uh, Mark, I think you mentioned this, the lady like played clips of people that they'd interviewed yeah. and like talked about it. I didn't, yeah. maybe Mark primed me to not like it. I don't remember, but I was watching. I was like, ah, I don't, <laughs> I, I just, I didn't like the style. So I was just like, ah, oh, this just isn't interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it were, if it were some other uh, event and or venue, it might've been fine. You know, it's kind of an interesting touchy feely kind of talk, but you know, as a WWDC developer talk, it, it I, I thought the content was okay. If she was talking about like what are the qualities that make great design, and showed some examples, and said, you know, I spoke to this person, and they said this, but it was like she was like standing there for sometimes like a minute or two minutes, which is a long time, and like yeah, a quote would play, and the the quote would be up on the screen, and like you would hear the person like they recorded the interviews, just audio, and you would hear them, and right. it was, I, I don't know, I, I would have felt really awkward doing the talk because she was like standing there, kind of nodding, you know, crossing her arms, and she was like nodding as the audio was playing, and she just had to stand there, and then yeah. after. It's like, you know, yeah, I totally agree. And then she would talk. It was just the, I didn't like the format. The content I thought was 
good, yeah. but I just didn't like the format. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was kind of more of a pep talk or touchy feely kind of thing, and I, I didn't, I didn't think there was that much really useful mm. information for someone who's already convinced of the value of good design. Yeah, right? I can see that. It wasn't like here are the five things that you should do. I don't know. It wasn't like a human interface guidelines kind of talk. I guess yeah, maybe yeah. it was touchy feely. Uh, exactly. The life of a button, though, yeah. I have some high hopes yep. for that one because I've heard good things about that one. I haven't watched. Uh, I've heard that yet. one is a little more. I don't know if technical is the right word, but you know, technical. Um, going through well, just a single button and how you think about it and how you implement it and all the little extras that you put for interaction and animation. So anyway, that one is next on my designy talk cues. I've got some high hopes for it. So we were debating yesterday mm-hmm. on the Slack about about interface builder and and whether or not you could it was sort of well, suited well to work with um, Swift. Remember you guys were talking about that yesterday. Uh, we were speculating about the future of interface building yeah. in Swift. Yeah. So I wonder. So I wonder, like, so does this life of the button cover sort of how Swift now plays a role in the life of a button? I don't think it's that kind of a talk. I think it is actually like you know, here's some app with a button, and you think it's just a button. It's so simple, but here are all the things we have to think about: animation, touchdown states, colors. Yeah. You know, all of this stuff. I think that's what a sound design. Like, what sound does it make? How does the touchdown and the highlight state change and things like that? Uh, right, so I think right. it is a design. I don't think it's a technical like you know, let's go into the API for UI button. I don't think it's that. Uh, it is in the design section. So I think it's more about like, um, I don't know. That's the kind of talk that I like to do on the technical side. Like I like to talk about like concurrency, but look at one small thing. Like, you know, what's a lock and really go into in detail. This feels like the design version of that. Maybe that's why this one kind of appeals to me. Yeah. So what about what were you guys saying about the Swift and buttons and add target selector that kind of stuff well i i was bringing up the point that uh even after all this time it feels like swift and ui kit in general not just uh, interface builder but ui kit in general still don't 100 percent play well right. together uh given that ui kit is still it's all still class-based uh there's lots of subclassing uh and very object-oriented uh whereas swift has the whole movement towards protocol-oriented value types and all that uh which just doesn't just doesn't fit well with with how UI kit works uh, and it's you know it's been four years now doesn't seem like it's getting any closer to being a more holistic natural mm. fit uh, you can still do everything you need to do of course uh, and and I actually like Swift as a language uh, but but I still you know I still find myself mostly doing object-oriented type mm-hmm. stuff in Swift mm-hmm. as opposed to you know functional I do some fun- functional stuff but but all of the promise of the protocol oriented programming uh, just just doesn't just doesn't seem like it fits well into a real practical UI kit based mm. app. I have the same experience where you're writing all of these structs and all these value types and all these classes that don't inherit from an S object. And as soon as you have to have some view controller or you have a property and you want it to be a weak delegate or something, you know, you want it to be a delegate, you're like, oh, I got to make it a class yep. protocol. And then, class. And then it kind of yep. starts from there. And then you have this other thing. And then it's like, oh, I need at object C. And there's this optional protocol method that's declared in UI kit. And now it has to inherit from NS object. And yeah, it starts to creep in there for sure. But I think the particular thing we were talking about yep. was like, uh, I think we we're talking about target action, right? That's like one of the big things that's left over. Yeah, yeah. Pound selector and and just a, a UI mm-hmm. bar button. Uh, that, you know, you can't you can't build a UI bar button without reverting to a, a you know, pound select mm-hmm. target action target kind of kind of a yeah. approach. I think we were like speculating, like I don't know what will like interface builder two dot look like, or not two dot whatever version they're on. Two, you know, the next generation interface builder look like. And I was like, it could just be you know, you have a button, you right click, and you type in your code for the uh, like the block that you want to run the closure that you want to run when you click on the button or something like that like write an ib or i think i brought up mm. um or maybe tim did some rumor that ib would actually 
write out Swift files that you would, you know, kind of go from there mm-hmm. and it would become like a visual editor basically for Swift. So who knows? But um, yeah, doing Objective-C stuff when it leaks into your Swift, uh, you know, your beautiful Swift bubble, it's it's not always so nice. Mm-hmm. All right. So and what do you think about some of the other choices here that, uh, I mean, we, Mark and I talked about most of these last week when we were on the show, but the one the one thing that didn't make the cut that was surprised was the using collections effectively. I thought that was a good talk, though. Hmm. I thought that was kind yeah. of a nice one. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing really new in there, but uh, still kind of No AR kit talks, huh? You have CreateML there, but you didn't mention any of the AR stuff. Oh, yeah. No yeah, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. and again, like so, like I said, this is based on on the, the votes. Um, I mean, there were some um, clumped together, uh, that, you know, because like the I said, these were tied for seventh place, but there were a bunch tied for eighth place, and I'm sure they probably fell into that sort of category. So, mm-hmm. and since okay. we only can choose ten, you know, yeah. Yep. Get- well, I think everyone should at least watch what's new in AR Kit Two yeah. just to see what's yeah. there. Yeah, that was maybe the only other one I'd add. Um, no, there was. One. I'm going through my list now to see which ones, which are the ones that I liked that. Didn't <laughs> You mentioned cut. the auto layout one, which That's... I did like, and you mentioned the debugging one, which I liked. So I think, yeah, the debugging one I liked a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, a yeah I think the debugging was my favorite one actually. And you didn't have advanced dark mode, no, or or introduction <laughs> to dark mode that wasn't on there. And and the and the one TVOS uh, talk I didn't have that either. So, so have you got? I don't think that they published any of the um, the uh, lunchtime talks this time, or the lunch the, the I don't know, wait, lunch sessions, right? Or the what about that design shorts thing? Is that anywhere? Have they published those or? Those. Yeah, no, they, I think there was one, right? They had one. They only had one session this year. Last year they had two or three of those, and, and they're they're short. They're almost like lightning talks, right? Yeah, yeah. Ten Did they publish those like already? That. Yeah, there's, yeah. They, they, the, I think the, the the was there only one this year? I think I thought there were more. I thought there was more than one. Uh, I have to go okay. back. And I only uh, saw one in the okay. list, and it didn't make the cut. I haven't gone back and watched it, but I, I I do remember enjoying some of those ones last year. Okay, yeah. Because so, I think they made. I think one of the one of those groups made the made the list last year. So. Hmm. I'm trying to watch one talk a day, so I've got uh, a bunch queued up. <laughs> I'm trying to take a break from watching talks. I watched like 30 of them in a row. No, I didn't watch any last week. All of last week, I didn't watch anything. So this yeah. week, I'm like one a day, I think, for the next couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. You might get caught up by the next WWC. <laughs> there's a hundred yeah. of them, right? I, I am finding that I, I'm going to need to go back and watch some of the videos for for the sessions that I actually attended yeah. at the show, because I've already forgotten what, what happened in some of them. Yeah, I, so I, I'm taking notes as I go, so it's not so bad. I can always just refer to the notes. But yeah, I'm watching them at like 1.5x speed so they're, yeah, they're going by too. pretty quickly yeah, yeah it's yeah, my new lunchtime yeah. thing that's yeah. what i do now so the last year there were yeah. 133 sessions this year there was only a, just slightly over 100 so that's mm. quite a difference oh network.framework you're probably the only person who watched that one Mark. i think yeah I, I think that was one of the best sessions of the whole <laughs> i wonder how many listeners actually listened listen to that one after we met, recommended it last week it's a, it's a little obscure i guess for the average yeah. person as soon as you said sockets people started running for the hills yeah. yeah, but it tells you what sockets are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, my yeah. colleague Agnes went to that one because she's giving a talk about um, backwork, background networking, which is not low-level network. But she was like, maybe mm-hmm. there'll be something mm-hmm. interesting. And I think she did the same thing. She said, like, oh, it was actually mm-hmm. really good. She said it was very low-level. Probably nothing we can use, but she actually yeah. said it was really good. Same thing that you said, Mark. So I'm, I'll, I'll put that on the list because, you know, yep. it's two smart people vouching for it. So that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely watch cool. it. Cool. Right. So that's our, our sort of sort of follow-up. Hmm. So, Jaime, you have a thing here in your... I think I saw this one too, but Jaime, Jaime claimed, claimed it, so he gets to speak about it. Yeah, this is a tweet by Louis Dao. Dao? I'm not sure how the name is pronounced. I apologize. Uh, I'm a developer in Belgium who has apparently created a proof of concept Xcode for uh, iPad, where, uh, as it says here in the tweet and, um, you know, the little handy video, you've got a Xcode-ish looking interface uh, on the iPad, but that's really just the text editing part. And the code is compiled 
remotely on a Mac, which generates an IPA that is then uh, installed by the iPad, which is pretty neat. This is um, real similar to what I had in mind when we talked about, I don't know, probably what would we like to see at WWDC? I think there was some uh, enthusiasm, at least for me, of like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know if you can run the full-up expo, but if you had something just a little bit more than Playgrounds where you could, you know, write some code or, or maybe modify some existing code, especially when we were talking about, like, integration with version control systems like uh, Git and uh, centralized services like GitHub, GitLab, that sort of thing. Hey, you know, all I'm really doing is the, the code editing part, you know, writing some Objective-C, writing Swift. I could do that just as well, and maybe it remotely does all the, the like, the the grunt work, the hard bits somewhere else on a Mac and then have that loaded onto your iPad. That would be pretty cool. You know, you could, you could do that uh, while on the beach on vacation if you wanted to, you know, somewhere near Wi-Fi or uh, if you've got like other you know, hot spotting or something. Sure. But, uh, this seems pretty neat. I, I, I hope Apple uh, ribs some of uh, what this concept is here because it, it seems like it would be really cool. So we did have, there was a project a couple of years ago called Drygen, I think, that was the same idea. Um, you basically ran, you had like a sort of an interface builder or UI builder um, on your iPad and then you would, you would um, send it to Dropbox or to a folder on your network, and Xcode was—it was like a, a, a bot or whatever watching X, watching that folder, and it would bring it into Xcode and compile it, and then it would send it back to the iPad to, to run. So that was a product that we—I don't know if it's still around anymore. I think I have it on my iPad, but I haven't looked at it in a while. You guys remember that one? Yeah, and if you follow the tweet chain somewhere like halfway down the chain, uh, oh, Louis mentions, mentions that. that this is a more modern take on Dringen app. Uh, my proof of concept uses the iOS 11 files API and uh, his own open source panel. And he's also planning to make his project first, which is pretty neat too. Oh, so this is something he's actually working on. Yeah, he says somewhere in the chain, I can't find it now, but that he's not using any private APIs or anything. So he's uh, excited about the possibility of seeing if he can get this through App Store Review. I think uh, he'll have to change the name. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> he could call it 10 Code. <laughs> 10 Code X. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coder yeah. 10 for iPad, something like that. <laughs> or you could call it Auto. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or Autos for more than one. All right. O-T-T-O. That's the name of the the bot in um oh what's it called Wally Wally all right um so this is an article I picked up here from uh, some of the as listening to release notes that we're talking about um Daniel Jelkett wrote an article here called Airsat Free Trials about Apple's announcement last week that they would um uh, I, I don't think they mentioned this during WWDC but it came out around the same time that they were having you could have free trials for non subscription apps um now um and Daniel goes through a, he's the maker of Mars Edit. He goes through a number of examples why this isn't really free trials in the same sense that it was before. You know, you still have they're still listed as free apps. You know, if you if you have some free functionality or whatever, and then you know have an in-app purchase to uh, make make it functional, and um, customers object to that kind of stuff. Um, there's no bulk purchasing available. Family sharing isn't available. Um, it's not available for bulk. The bulk sharing would be like if if um, in a volume purchasing program, if if some institution bought like you know hundreds of these things they would get them for free but then they would have to deal with each individual purchase to, to turn them into a real a real boy a real application um so i don't know if you guys have had a chance to even breeze through this one or or even knew about this issue no i'd heard or maybe i saw a tweet i didn't read the read the post but i read some tweet about how it's not what you think it is and it's still right. kind of disappointing yeah. that that was the gist of it but it's, it's specific for mac apps is that right uh, or is this for ios as well leave so he's pretty much talking about he's talking about the omni group and, and his own app and acorn six and mm-hmm. those are all all mac apps so i don't know if it's specifically for mac apps per se yeah. the app store they refer to 
Okay. Did you guys notice that they changed the name of, the, of iTunes Connect to App Store App Connect? Connect? Yes. Finally, killing off yeah. the iTunes brand, you know? Good riddance. Are they? <laughs> yeah, and then they. It's kind of kind of silly, the- right? You where do you send your app? You send it to iTunes. It's like why do you send it to iTunes, right? Maybe that means right. the app itself will be dismembered sometime going forward, which would be nice. Yeah. What were you going to say, Harmony? They also did a really good job of decreasing the performance when you had to resign. <laughs> you had to resign some, you know, terms of service or conditions or whatever it was. And it just, you know, I hit the accept button and it just spun there for maybe 10 minutes nice. while I went away to do other things, came back and hit the refresh button. Uh, otherwise, it seems nominally one to one functional with what mm. iTunes Connect did before, just with some slightly yeah. glossier uh, image assets. Well, for a time, whenever it? we release a new version of the app or put a new test flight build, I always get four emails. I don't know why, but I get four emails. And then for a time, I was getting eight emails four from iTunes Connect, four from App Store Connect for a while. Oh, really? That has wow. died down, and I just get the normal four again. But for huh. a time, I was being uh, inundated with emails. Crazy. You get four emails all addressed to you, or are you in? I'm probably in the group. And maybe I'm also uh, on the test yeah. flight list. So I get an email saying there's a new test mm-hmm. flight build. Mm-hmm. And I get an email saying, hello, hello, developer, your build is ready. And I get, uh, I don't know why. I, I there's yeah. reads, there's, I'm, you know, It's probably not their fault. Four in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun of them, but yeah, I get four emails every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you, yeah, you do get the you get the one that said it's finished processing. Uh, you get the one Gone into review. When when you, as a as an iTunes Connect mm-hmm. user, you're talking about test flight or, or app store? Uh, test flight, right? Uh, I guess so, yeah. The same, well, not the same thing. Yes, yeah. test flight. So with te- well, at least with test flight, uh, you get yeah, like I said, the one you get mm-hmm. for processing. You get the one where the iTunes you as an iTunes Connect user have yes. access to it. You get the one depending on on how you're set up as a test flight user. You get another one when you've it's a, it's been approved mm-hmm. uh, for testing for non iTunes mm-hmm. Connect users. And what's the fourth one? I believe there's okay. a fourth one, but no, I, I get four at the same time. So there's really yeah. oh wow. really yeah oh. like oh. when the app is ready for distribution. Again, I think it's like one is because I'm an iTunes person. One because I'm the one who submitted it. One like for the ad- account admin that says like, "Hey, you have a new build," which is also me. And mm-hmm. I forget what the other one is. Anyway, uh, there's mm-hmm. probably some setting that I have to flip. But anyway, I just get four emails mm-hmm. fun mm-hmm. times. But now they come from App Store Connect, and I get the notification because I have the App Store Connect app, so I get the notification too. So uh, surely I know of yep. every movement happening with our builds, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Multiple times redundancy, just redundant backups. Time. Right? You need a good backup system for emails. Right. Sure. That's right. Are you building an Xcode? Yeah. Sometimes you sometimes you're quickly going through your email, you accidentally delete something and you mm. wish you had it back. Well, now you don't have that problem, right? <laughs> it's it's a 4X redundancy. Yep, that's true. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Are you building your app in, are you building your, your uh, builds in Xcode and submitting them from the app itself? Uh, we use or do you have the Jenkins or something? Testflight. Or not Testflight, uh, Fastlane. I always get the mixed up. Oh, Fastlane. Oh, okay, Fastlane, cool. yeah. Cool. Did you configure that or was it configured when you got there? It was mostly configured when I got there. I have tweaked the fast file a little bit, and uh, my colleague Agnes used to work for a CI company, so luckily she knows all about signing and provisioning profiles, and uh, she knows all about that stuff, uh, which is good, because, cool. you know, yep. who wants to learn that stuff? That stuff is hard, so I don't have to worry about that, <laughs> which is good for me. So, okay, so if, it, if it's not uh, proprietary information, how many times a day do you guys update automated builds to TestFlight? Oh, is that... Prof- I don't even know if that's proprietary. Well, I don't know. If it is, if, if you suspect it might be, don't answer. 
answer, but if, if it's uh, not... I just tweeted we we don't we don't do continuous builds. No. Oh, you no. don't. We oh, just okay. we, I, we just I tweeted about this. We just got a Mac Mini. Bought a brand new refurbished <laughs> one because I refused to buy a new one. But we bought a uh, mm-hmm. we bought a refurbished Mac Mini to be our sort of sort of build server build server light. Um, but no, we don't do continuous yep. builds. I see. Okay. Yeah. 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 We don't either. Actually. Yeah. Not for test flight because the, the the tooling wasn't really there to let you do the stuff we would want to do. But um, my understanding is you could submit for App Store review uh, programmatically now from the new App Store Connect stuff. Um, oh, I've not yeah. had a time any time to review that actual session, but that's, that's some rumblings that I heard, and I think that would change the way we're doing things. Yeah. So there used to be some there used to be some fundamental limitations back a long time ago when when Apple first bought uh, Test Flight. There was a limit of two, and actually it might even been up to like a year or so ago. This was true. You were limited to two uh, build uploads a day, oh, really, or maybe it was two Test Flight releases hmm. a day. Uh, but more recently, it was bumped up to six a day. So you could do six test flight builds a day. And now I wonder with this new allowances for automated uploads, I wonder if they're going to expand that. Because you can imagine for, you know, for a real, a true CI type system, uh, if if you're, you know, you're doing a build every time, every time someone does a commit, essentially, right, or, or doesn't merge, you're doing a, you're doing mm. a full build. So in theory, you would want to make the, uh, make a version of the app available every single time so there's a merge. Uh, into master so that would make for a well at least in, with us that would make for a whole lot of test flight uh, that's true i can builds. see making a build available for download for every commit but i wouldn't submit every single one to test flight right yeah right right yeah no i agree it would well but but how else do you uh distribute it to people yeah i though? mean it would just it wouldn't be internal. for internal people i guess it would be like you know the ipa would be available on the server and you could just if you're in the provisioning profile you could be you could like manually install it or something like that i could see that yeah. Yeah, that that misses all of the the uh, the happiness of test flight though, which means you don't have to deal with having making sure that your phone is in the is in the provisioning yeah, profile. I guess though, that. but if it's uh, yeah, I guess fast. Um, I keep saying fast. Uh, test flight has to be like a no. I want this build to be test flight, please, and that has to be explicit, right? Yeah, that's that right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, Mac Mini, and yeah, yeah, Felix tweeted me saying, "Oh, you're finally setting up Fastlane.ci, which is their new alpha CI system, which I am not setting up, but uh, well, maybe I'll think about it since we already use Fastlane. I don't know how easy." to use Fastlane CI, but um, maybe I'll have a look at it. Anyone using that yet? I guess it's alpha. Probably nobody's using it. No. Yeah. Right. No. What, what we do to... Sort of... Actually, this, that, this, this kind of reminds me... Sorry, let me, let me just jump in and then mm-hmm. I'll let you go, Tommy. It kind of reminds me that we, we speculated that there'd be something about the Buddy mm. Build acquisition at WDC, and, and there wasn't. There, not a single mention of it. I guess um, workflow took a year, so maybe Buddy Build will need another year. CI is yeah. hard from what I hear, maybe so maybe they need another year. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely to your point there, I definitely would yeah. like to see something in that area because right now the little dance that we're doing is um, I think every time we have commits merging to uh, we don't use master we use develop as our integration point um, mm-hmm. but it's effectively the same where every every time a, a PR request merges to develop I believe a build kicks off and if it's not then it's like you know collects builds over the last or commits uh, commits over the last fifteen minutes or something depending on horsepower and stuff uh, but now that we have a, an iMac Pro running as our build system, is actually super fast for all the different builds we're asking it to do. Um, and then we use test flight for, uh, all right, you know, it's the end of our cycle. Um, we think we're going to uh, 
submit this one for real z's so let's get more people look at it and let's get apple taking a look so they can prove it for the app store but it's, it's not quite as nice because although we've got a, a reasonably well documented and a reasonably straightforward process to get people on board with you know the the fabric you know daily in or multiple times a day internal development builds it's not as easy as test flight you know before wwdc yeah and now that they've apparently added the oh just add people by sending them this link like that that doesn't get any any easier right like all right somebody new to the company great send them a link there you go just click that link and now you're part of the test flight program uh for us would be like, like a huge game changer it re- reduced a lot of time and effort we spend and if you could integrate that into a buddy build style continuous integration and deployment type environment that would be like ever so fantastic i don't know maybe like a flag somewhere it's like all right out of these 10 different test flights that i've got flying around i want number seven i want this one to be the for real z's send it through app store review this is sort of balance the uh, getting things out early to internal people for uh, you know dog fooding and taking things on a shakedown cruise but uh, also having some control of being like all right this is the one that we think is pretty solid let's make that one the official build or official release i'd say cool. mm-hmm. all right so greg why don't you tell us about to airbnb Airbnb, yeah, I had a great Airbnb down in San Jose, so thank you to our host. He was Canadian, and there were dogs, so best Airbnb ever. Uh, but the story that just came out was a massive four-part blog article thing on uh, their Airbnb engineering blog, hosted on Medium, about how they're sunsetting React Native. So that was the big headline. Uh, I think this is the first part. No, anyway, the little um, blurb, the subhead, as they would say, is, due to a variety of technical and organizational issues, we will be sunsetting setting react native and putting all of our efforts into making native amazing so airbnb was a pretty i mean you know maybe you've heard of them they're a pretty big company they got a pretty complicated app and they were like yes we're going react native and now they're just they've decided no which i'm sure a lot of people are loving and maybe some people are you know it's causing a gnashing of teeth among other people but it's a really good four-part series so um i think it's organized into like what they liked what they didn't like what were some of the problems what are they doing going forward so really really good um four-part poster if you're interested um uh since i'm like you know, I'll just play the React Native hater here. So some of the things that they, well, some of the things they liked were like, yes, it helps us move faster and, or they thought it would help them move faster. And it turns out that it didn't quite do that. Uh, the whole right once run anywhere didn't quite live up to the experience. Some of the developer experience was good, like hot reloading, like I've mentioned before is great, but other things like debugging are terrible. Um, so, you know, all in all, they've decided that it's, um, yeah, well, they're going to be sunsetting it. So I think they're uh, one of the blog posts is about, again, like I said, like what they're going to do going forward how are they going to um wind it down and things like that so all around um good post did you guys manage to check it out or any of particular parts of it or anything you were curious about in particular no not really we, we talked about react, react native before and its public uh, popularity but i wanted to just digress for a minute and talk about your pick for uh what you would see at wwc and, and i may mention that you said uh, auto what did you just call it auto hot reloading hot reloading hmm. yeah th- there's that auto word again um what uh what did you mean by that. Uh, well, if you've done a React Native app, I mean, if you've done web development, let's say you have a local HTML file, you update something in the HTML, you go to your web browser, you hit Command R, and you refresh the page. Um, that's basically what you can do if you have a React Native app. So you're in your uh, text editor, you're writing JavaScript, right? So you're like, oh, I want this view to be 10 points to the left, or I want it to be green. So you change background color equals green. And then in the iOS simulator that's running your app, you hit Command R, and it will reload the entire application. I'm making air quotes here. But it will reload it without 
compiling because it's like JavaScript and it's compiled mm-hmm. on the fly, so on and so on. Um, so you get that in React Native, which is like but it wasn't you actually about pushing apps to people's devices. It was more about within the, when your development uh, process. Uh, you can do over the air updates for something. I forget what the regulations are with that exactly, but yeah, you can do over the air updates like without going through app review, which is like ooh, always uh, exciting for iOS developers. Uh, yeah, that that's that's not what I was talking about. But yeah, I was talking about the developer experience of uh, sort of faster iterations on the development cycles. What I was what I was getting at. Okay, but Greg, I gotta say, you lost me at you're writing mm, JavaScript. I know <laughs> there are so many. Uh, I mean, JavaScript has like taken over the world, though, right? So it's like you can find so many JavaScript developers, and I think you can find a lot of good JavaScript developers. The whole React pattern is very popular. Flexbox for like layout is also very popular, very well known. So I can see why I can see the appeal yeah, of it. And Node.js. I can yeah. see the appeal of it, but yeah. they were like um, just going through some of the other points. Uh, performance is actually not a problem. They said everyone was worried about poor performance, but they didn't find that was a problem. And they like Flexbox and they like JavaScript because, hmm. you know, again, there are a lot of JavaScript people in the world. I don't know if you looked around and looked, but there are an awful lot of them. But I think the problems that they had were just like the project is immature. You know, it's like the JavaScript tooling is pretty bad. It goes through JavaScript core, which is different on Android because they have their own JavaScript stack over there. So they had a whole bunch of, not a whole bunch of, but they had some issues with that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I think it's a good case study because they're a relatively big company. They're not like Facebook. They didn't develop React Native. They're like a third, using it as a third party. Um, maybe like Facebook is a little more biased because they're the ones working on it and pushing the development of it. But this is a pretty big company using it and have decided that it's not for them for various reasons. I'm not. I don't think. I don't think that means like React Native is dead or you shouldn't use it. But they make a very a lot of good points about the pluses and the minuses. So I think it's a really good read um, for you to decide on your own or for your own company or for your own apps or whatever on whether it's a good choice or not. Cool. All right. And you have another post here about Marzipan the Fi. Yeah, I was almost going to make this my pick, but um, Steve Trutton-Smith has come up with this utility. It's like a command line Mac utility called Marzipanify. Uh, there's a tweet thread here that I've linked to as well, and also a link to his GitHub project. It says, like, no instructions, no support, totally work in progress. But basically, if you get a app, you compile it and run it in the simulator, then you point this utility to it, and it will take the binary, like the IPA file, or I think it's still a .app file. Anyway, it'll take the iOS application that runs on the simulator, Simulator. It will go in and do all kinds of weird things and relink the die libs to other things, and then you will magically get a Mac app that can run on um, Mojave. So that's why it's called cool. Marzipanify. It turns an iOS simulator targeted app into a Mac app. Not all of them work, of course, and there's all kinds of caveats, but it's an uh, interesting utility there. And I think a few people have tried it and they've gotten their apps working, so it is possible. Cool. I mean, ultimately, Device Tracker, I, I chose Core Data because the promise was when Tiger first came out. Was it Tiger it first came out with? Um, but whatever iOS was at the time, 4 or 5? I know it's 4.0. It was when yeah, so the idea out. was, you know, we would build it with Core Data because we had eventually planned on bringing it over to the Mac. And uh, this actually makes it this Marzipan sort of project or future for us um, makes it sort of easier to bring it over, right? So, hmm. except for the fact that it's... Well, can't, can't you just use uh, iCloud Core Data I to share the could, yeah. oh, no, no, I'm just talking about the UI. And... No, you can't, no, you can't, because it got it. <laughs> <laughs> Did it? Oh. Yeah. Right. You got to use the cloud kit now, I think, right? That's the suggested yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But but it doesn't, it's not uh, It's not a pure core data solution. No, it's just, kit. hey, you want to sync it? Why not try core kit? Yeah. 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 So the yeah. interesting story about that was, was that was back in the day when you had to pay separately for Mac OS uh, developer program as well as iOS. Mm-hmm. And when I set up device trackers product ID, somehow Apple put it into the Mac OS and not iOS, even though it was on the iOS store. 
So it took me a while mm-hmm. to sort of get them to. I think I had to go to WWC to resolve it in one of their one of their labs um, to get them to move it out of um, the Mac Mac environment and into, back into iOS because I couldn't use the same um, couldn't create another uh, a Mac app version of it right because it had a conflict. So back in those oh, days, I was going to make a really simple table view app or something and just try this utility. But yeah. I think you need to do like kernel hacks and other things to get it to run. Um, and you need Mojave, which I have on my other computer. Anyway, I didn't I didn't try it, but I would like to see somebody I know, Tim, try one of their mm. apps on this yeah. thing just to just to see how it works. Yeah, Geek Squad on the Mac hmm. or Pi Day Countdown. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one to test. Pi Day or- Countdown with the natural language processing and CoreML and Siri shortcuts. Siri shortcuts. Yeah. Wow, this this thing's written in Objective C. Yeah, it's like a command line utility to do it. Yeah, because it does the relinking yeah. and stuff. So yeah. Oh, you mean talking about this this uh, framework? The the Marzipanify. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. All right. So I just put a comment here, 200 years old, which is kind of reminded me of, uh, of actually the name of a Frank Zappa song. But the fact that we're here, we're at our 200th episode. And, Woo. you know, what, what does that mean? And what do you remember? What's your what's your, your highlight of the, the almost four years that we've been doing this show? Hmm. Besides my lack of sleep. I have to check the tape and see when my first appearance <laughs> was. But I remember. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that, weren't we? It was some last minute thing. And you were like, oh, so and so. I don't remember who it was. Somebody's away. Do you want to come on the podcast? And I think I said no. And oh, the yeah. second time somebody was away you're like do you want to come on the podcast i was like sure yeah. and i think it was like that day and i think it was evan friend of the show evan deckheiser and he said like oh that was a really good podcast greg but you didn't talk enough and i was like that i had like 20 minutes notice i had nothing to say yeah um, yeah yeah. so hopefully i've resolved that yeah right in now. the after show we, we sort you, you sort of admitted that it was your first episode and we're like oh really that's so cute mm, <laughs> first podcast ever i think it was yeah, yeah yeah i have to go back and see which uh which episode that was but well, um, let's, let's hear review the hosts here so we've got um jaime, Dol- jaime lopez jr as of uh, episode 199 has been in 147 episodes. Mark's been in 137. I've been on 166. Although I think we question this. That's it? Wait, 166 of 199? You've missed yeah. 30 episodes? That seems like too much. No, I that's right. That. I, think, I think we went through this. I, I don't feel like I've missed 63 episodes either. <laughs> I, I believe I've oh. missed maybe. I think we went through this Who, who's tagging the authors here, Tim? That's what I want to know. Had, yeah. We had this thing before and, and then uh, Tammy's got 27 and Greg's got 37. So Tammy, you got some catching up to do. Um, but yeah, I think we went through this before and the, the attributions weren't correct, right? Mm. Yeah. I, 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 mostly was... you, Tim. I can't believe you've missed 30. That's just, I've, I feel like you've missed five probably. Yeah, right? You've missed five, I think, yeah. or something like something yeah, closer maybe, to that maybe. than 30. I don't know. Yeah, I think when I calculated I like that on my side, episodes. when we, we talked about it, I said that this can't possibly be right because I save the raw audio from my recording uh, pretty diligently. And, you know, there, there's some weird well, things Well, don't forget, in the this is, this is Fireside's math, not my math, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, hmm. But I remember looking and thinking, wait a minute. Yeah, we can go uh, back to Just based that, on those numbers. I, what about all those early episodes before we started using Fireside? Uh, no, these are all, these are all, these have all been imported over to Fireside as well. No. I think we did go through, I think we had this discussion in the past previously, right? No. And then we, I think we found that there were some, some gaps in there, but I thought I'd filled them in. Hmm. Well, hmm. something else for the MTJC historians of the future that Javi's yeah. going to hire to, uh, to look at. Sure, sure. Well, since we've been on Fireside, we've done 264,000 downloads. Wow. Yeah. Quarter of a million served. Unique downloads? Are those unique downloads? Uh, Total. Total. I think we've, um, um, I mean, the averages are a bit screwed up too because, you know, we had that other place was catching stats and then this one over here. So our top Mm -hmm. episode was downloaded 4,446 times. Was that the WWDC episode? No, I think it was, um, let's go back and find out. Yeah, the last episode was 3597, our reflections on WWDC. 
Let's see. Let's see if I can find it here. Do 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 do, as somebody would say. Uh, oh, the results are in from September 23rd. So what else has been new ex- exciting about uh, 200 episodes? I think for me, one of the interesting ones was one that I, I think we, from a uh, airtime calculation perspective, I think we probably all collectively as hosts speak the least. And that was the uh, what the iPhone meant to me or means to me. I forget the exact title. Where we had uh, a whole bunch of clips from other folks who, who gave us their, I don't know, 30 seconds to one minute of uh, how it changed right, yeah. their, their professional or personal lives. Yeah, I mean, we're all here because of the iPhone on this podcast for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Even Tammy. That was your segue, Tammy. I think she's <laughs> muted or asleep. The Zoom is uh, muted. I see it on, on the... Her Zoom is muted? Uh, she is muted, yeah. What? Probably off doing some math somewhere. <laughs> let's unmute her. She's oh. doing a very complicated derivative. Let's not let's not bother her. That's true. She's linking some... Sure. I've started doing and... the Coursera machine learning course, Mark, so uh, we, we just finished oh, the nice. thing. I did the review on matrix multiplication, which I have had to review, sadly. Uh-huh. Have you done the Caltech one yet? I still think that's uh, no. The best I don't one. know this one. What's the Caltech one? Oh no, it's it's really really good. Uh, it's uh it's it's a little bit more theoretical and less practical than the Coursera hmm. one, but it's but it's by a professor at Caltech. It's a it's a real Caltech course that they filmed, uh, and he's got a book too, a textbook uh, that's based on the course. And you you know you can watch all the videos. It's it's all his lectures and do the actual homeworks from the course. It's it's really very Is good. It on edX or is uh, on Coursera? It's, no, it's just on or Caltech.edu. I think it's on. Caltech's website okay. somewhere. Yeah. I, it was my pick at one point. It might've been as long as oh, a couple well, years ago. For that then. Yeah. It's, it's not structured so much as a, you know, a, a, uh, a real time course like the Coursera ones are because it's, it's just an archive of the existing mm-hmm. materials. But if you're self-motivated and you're willing to do the work oh, on your own, I don't know how well that describes me, uh, but okay. Yeah. Learning from data. I think I see <laughs> yeah. it here. Is that it? Okay. That's the one. Yes. It's, it's excellent. It's excellent. Okay. But like I said, it's, it's more theoretical about more, the concepts of what machine learning mm. is, uh, although it does go into all the different types okay. of machine learning, uh, but it's but it's more theoretical than practical, I have to say. And since it's a couple years old, uh, there's there's nothing about deep learning in there, uh, so you won't see any convolutional neural networks. Oh, that's the big like buzzword that. though that I need to learn about. Well, it is, yeah, yeah, that's it, it for sure. Yeah, so it's a little bit dated, but for a theoretical baseline, you can't beat it. Okay, I'll check it out. If I survive yep. all of the math in the uh, Coursera one, then uh, I'll come to this one. Yeah, yeah. So just going through the uh, episodes here one by one, and I noticed that the, Tammy's first episode was one where I hoodwinked her into being on the show. <laughs> what, she just happened to be on the phone and you started recording? That's pretty much what it was. We were we were chatting about writing books and yeah. stuff like that, and they sort of said, hey, let's turn on the microphones and turned into an episode. There you go. All right, well, so we I guess we should move on to our picks, um, and I guess I can go first. So this is kind of, this is kind of interesting, the one that came up uh, some medium posts here on uh, sort of uh, like a skills matrix for iOS developers, and it's it's uh, by a gentleman named uh, Bowden Orlov, um, and it's just I mean it's not uh, wrote, but it's or it's not a, a fact, but it's it's sort of how to he's breaking down um, by abilities and skills and knowledges uh, what a junior, middle, or senior developer might bring to a particular issue, right? Um, and it, it just uh, keeping with our sort of themes that we started off with on the show, we thought it was kind of interesting to look look at, you know, like ability, you know, uh, would be like, can make a news app from a JSON API for junior middle level developer can timely design and deliver a fast, reliable chat module. And a senior would be can establish team behavior standards with non-factual ideas. Um, that would be non-fanatical ideas. Non-factual? Fanatical? Yeah. yeah. Fanatical ideas. 
sorry. <laughs> bad glasses, what can I say? Um, yeah, so just different ways of uh, breaking it down in terms of uh, skill, knowledge, whatever. I, li- I like the joke where it sort of says, you know, there's one where a junior developer hasn't got a clue on how to do a particular thing. A middle developer's got it all down pat and figured it all out. This isn't part of this, but a senior one is can't remember how to do all the things that he used to know how to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I took a look at this chart. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I, I think it's a little bit yeah. opinionated based on, you know, certain his own certain preferences on certain things uh, and I'm not sure it completely applies to everyone but you know from a kind of conceptual point of view it's 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 good yeah. okay, so that was my pick for uh, sort of our uh, the gist of the show what do developers do and that kind of stuff all right so how many you got one for us yes you uh, you all talked about uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name Ole Begman I think you settle on as the pronunciation. Apologize if I have that wrong. Uh, I think he talked about a Swift playground he has for Swift 4.2 that uh, shows you like all the things there are new. Um, this is more of a deeper dive into random numbers in Swift and how they have changed. So, for example, if you were going to write a um, let's say like a lottery system where you might want to fairly and accurately select people who have uh, who want to participate in a lottery, uh, Swift makes that a whole lot easier now. Largely because of the way it handles well, one, it does some, some shuffling stuff that's pretty nice and, and some random number generator stuff but they also made it a little bit nicer too instead of doing the weird arc four random and am i using the right one versus ran versus random the api now really makes it so much more clear what you're actually doing instead of allowing you to accidentally use the wrong one and uh i can't remember if he actually mentions this article um maybe it was in the swift evolution proposal but it's actually harder to get the wrong thing because uh they've made some of these cases more type safe so hey if you really wanted to make this uh, a random number between uh, one to a thousand inclusive or uh, less than one or a, a double and so on and so forth. Um, it's a whole lot easier to do that without accidentally getting it wrong and therefore changing the way your random distribution works. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of neat that they've added that stuff in this, there. Yeah, this is pretty timely too. It actually reminds me of something that I had completely forgotten about, but in, in one of the sessions at WWDC, and I don't remember which one it was, I'll have to go look it up, uh, there was a discussion about random numbers. Maybe it's it was what's new and Swift, it's mm-hmm. possible. But um, the presenter mentioned a point kind of in passing that Arc4 Random in Swift, which, you know, Arc4 Random is the, the old standby from Objective-C. It was the best one in Objective-C. But apparently in, in Swift, from what this guy was saying, Arc4 Random is not random at all. It's actually cyclical. It's not that it's not random, but you're supposed yeah. to use Arc4 Random uniform if you, because Arc4 Random, you get the modulo bias. Like, usually most people do Arc4 Random, uh-huh. and then they do mod 100 or whatever to get a number from 0 to 99. But it's not completely, yeah. the distribution is not completely even because of the wraparound. So you're supposed to use arc for random mm. uniform. But that one only goes up to an int 32 is the other problem. But for most people, that's probably okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that's what he was talking mm-hmm. about uh, during the during the talk. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's, uh, just on the note, there was actually a, a email on the, or not an email, a post on the Swift evolution. I think Swift, anyway, the Swift forums about some amendments coming to the random number thing. So I just put a link to that as well. Uh, I think they're going to rename element to index or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it is but there's hmm. a link in there so some of that stuff still might change before it uh, comes out in final form at the end of the uh, at the end of the summer cool alright uh, Greg you got a oh, you have one for us now there you go I do have a pick y'all are always saying that we shouldn't pick our own things
things and uh, toot our own horns and so on, or that we should do it and not be afraid to do it. So I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it indirectly. So the iOS Dev Weekly newsletter, the wonderful weekly newsletter every Friday with all kinds of links, has a tweet saying, hey, here's a really helpful article. So you should all check out this article that talks about the new uh, warning and error directives coming in Swift 4.2, where you can do hash or pound or whatever you're going to call that thing, Octothorpe hash warning to add a compiler warning or hash error to do like an error. We had these things in Objective-C and they are now coming in Swift. If you want to leave a little to-do or note to yourself, that's a little more serious than just a to-do. You want to actually flag a warning or something. Um, so it's a lovely article about, not so much about what they are, because that's pretty much what they are. I just told you in one sentence, but about how they're built. So if you're interested in sort of what are the different compiler passes, how do you add a new keyword to a language? How is it all done? Then this article gives you kind of a brief summary, uh, a whirlwind tour, if you will, about all the uh, some of the compiler steps and how you go about adding new features or new keywords to the uh, to the language. So you can check that out. Cool. No comments from the other two guys. I actually have not read the article, but uh, I can say that it was um, well appreciated by a couple of my colleagues. Uh, they, they passed it around in a, a Slack channel at work. And I told them, oh, I know that guy. And they were at least slightly impressed. So there you nice. go. Minor celebrity, Gregory Hios. <laughs> <laughs> yes, minor celebrity. All right, I guess that's it for yet another week, another 200 weeks later. Woo. So we've been doing this since 2014, you realize, right? Does that make it uh, We're as years? old as Swift. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, that's true. We're as Older old as Swift. Swift. Yeah. So, and we weren't Swift. Big... This, we started doing the podcast before Swift came huh? out, right? We started doing the podcast before. No, no, no. Swift. It was announced well, at WWDC probably... 2014. We started our podcast in August. So we were just after Swift. Oh. Yeah, I think one we, of the we early... using Swift when we first early, came out. Early episodes. <laughs> yeah, one of the early, like, episode one or two talks about, like, hey, this Swift thing, is it legit? Or is this, like, a like Java for Mac sort of thing that they're going to backpedal <laughs> next year like what's what's happening and yet and yet here we are four years later and there's like some renewed fervor of all like oh i don't know Swift is like the right thing for the future of ios and mac development and you know other sorts of weird things that it, it seemed like things that sort of settled into you know is Swift yeah, the future no it's not it's the present <laughs> objective c is the past right um uh, right. I, don't, I don't know i mean good bad or indifferent i, I think it's pretty clear that, that apple is going uh, all in on Swift, and uh, we'll know for sure that there's no going back when they, at some point, make a Swift-only uh, framework or something that like cannot be uh, interrupt with Objective C, and not like as a bug, you know, in a beta, but more like, nope, that's the intentional design. Like we feel it's best that this uh, is made completely of enums or you know some other thing that can only be represented in Swift. Yeah, cool. I'll have to go back and listen to like the first few episodes and see what you guys are saying about Swift. I'm interested now. I didn't realize the timing lined up like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think the watch was the same. Thing. Thing too around fresh and brand newly. I don't think it was even released. I think it was announced hmm. around that time. I bet Mark is going to be like Watch was 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least, well, the first WWDC they talked about the watch was 2015. I know this because I just went back and looked up all the old videos, and there were none in 2015. Right, but I think so. Maybe they maybe they released the watch in the fall of 2015, or at least they had the video that like, hey, this thing is coming. You should be aware. Uh, like yeah. more like a yeah. like a marketing type of keynote versus having developer sessions stuff like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet Mark was all grumpy, like, "Oh, what's this new language? I'm going to stick with Objective C forever." That's what I'm predicting. I'm going to go. I will check the tape, though. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I actually, I actually, thinking back, uh, when I saw the keynote where they introduced Swift, I downloaded the book that night and started reading right. the book. I was pretty gung ho at the beginning. Uh, it wasn't until I tried building an actual project in Swift mm. One that I gave up on it for for about two right. years because Swift One was just not ready. Yeah, it was, it was rough bad. for sure. And, and Greg, as long as you're checking the tape, I think I said something like, you know, Objective C, you know, it's it's been great, but let's not fool ourselves. Um, it didn't get popular based on its merits. It got popular because the iPhone was popular. Yeah. Something to that effect. So look All at right. this. In I'll our... send them some Ask MTJC follow-up for next week after I've uh, checked the tape. So September 20, September 10th, 2014, we are talking about Apple Pay and the Apple Watch. So I think the watch did come out in 2014, Mark. We were talking yeah, about using it as... Uh, hmm? Really? Like, hey, this is so sweet. I actually bought something. In the fall. Okay. Oh, yeah, but not at WWDC. No, well, yeah, they skipped it. They, they announced it afterwards. Yeah, it's a okay. bit of a surprise, yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah, so in 2015, they were already talking about Watch Kit 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so Watch Kit 1 must have been a uh, an in-between announcement, in-between WDCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it was around around uh, that that fall when the, the indie apocalypse became a big story, too, right? And the, remember the bendable iPhone 6 Plus? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think within the last month or two, there was a shocking reveal that like Apple knew it would bend more, but without any sort of qualification. It's like somebody posted online. I don't have the reference. It's like, well, okay, well, what if it was one in a million before, and now it's seven times, which is you know seven in one million. That's that's not that big of a deal. But nope, that that uh, that the mathematical clarification what? doesn't uh, doesn't make its way into the stories. When did Steve Jobs die? Was that 2015? No, it was 2011. 2011? Yeah. No, really? Yeah, the iPhone, the iPhone 4s. Really? So. <laughs> This is like so. really yeah, dark. No, it was 2011. Time is right. This I is dark and macabre. Um, wow. Really dark and macabre uh, uh, speculation. I apologize if it's offensive, but it always struck me as sort of weird that like the iPhone 4s was announced and then 24 hours later he passed away, which always struck me as like maybe his official death date is not when he actually died. But now with that ray of sunshine, <laughs> um, the the actual reason I really remember it is because I was uh, wanted to get. Um, I think that was my first iPhone, if I'm not mistaken. And, and back then, we were thinking it was going to be called the iPhone 5, since that was the first one that had the, uh, the like, S sort of heartbeat, right? Like, they had the 3GS that was sort of a, a weirdo yeah. one, and then the S became like, yep, this is every other year sort of thing. Okay, cool. So, March, you know what happened in March 2015? Do you remember? The watch came out? Nope. Mark met um, Tim Cook. Oh, right. They got a selfie together. That was March 2015? Yeah. Wow. I thought it wasn't that long ago. Palo, Palo Alto's yeah. lucky day. Yeah. Well, I just looked at the show notes for episode number one and it says new technologies and frameworks announced at WWDC Swift adaptive layout cloud kit so I'm right. now even more curious yeah. to go back and listen to what y'all said about Swift you said um a lot I remember that <laughs> hmm. yeah. something's never changed though don't you guys still say um a lot yeah um <laughs> <no>. <laughs> There's uh, a whole bunch of notes missing from uh, the middle section here around episode 56. Can't tell you what those are about. Um, We used to have an other Apple store we used to talk about all the time. Yeah, we used to talk about a lot of topics yeah. that don't need to be <laughs> brought right, back up. Right. The weird thing is that it, it goes in cycles, right? Like, so we were just talking about this episode about the um, the Airsats free trials, and you know, I really wish Apple would just make it, you know, 
brain dead simple, like just some configuration option you have in App Store Connect of like, yep, this paid app is eligible for free trials. And it just automatically does it. So you don't have to go through um, the rigmarole that Daniel Jockett describes. But even if Apple were to do that, I don't have a lot of great faith that it would make any meaningful difference. I think it would just give the community something else to latch onto. It's like, aha, see, this is why indie developers can't succeed and, and that sort of thing. I think I think the market has just changed so dramatically that, you know, people expect software to, to be free. It tends to be fungible because there's so many different competitors and the lucky ones who have survived have found various ways and a lot of them have moved to subscription models. Or uh, if you're more in the games area, you've gone to uh, IAP and app purchase uh, premium type model. I, I think that's sort of the just the way that that things are right like we were when we were starting this podcast it was less clear that that was the case it felt more like oh here are some some weirdo things that have happened and maybe there can be changes but i think at this point it's pretty clear that uh, the world has changed in four years um it may not have been yeah i 100 percent agree i i do think that the freemium model went a long way towards killing the indie developer uh just because with a with a large team doing freemium stuff and and having a lot of volume uh you you could just build a more, I don't want to say a higher quality app, but, but a, a bigger experience. Like if you build a game, then you can have a huge amount of content in there with a large team that just a, a small team of indie developers, one or two people just, just can't do it. It's just, it's just impossible. So, so this model of have a large team, flood the market, do a big marketing spend to, to get the word out. So a lot of people download free and then the, the money follows from the freemium model from the in-app purchase that works and the indie people just can't keep up and because of that the indie apps in comparison look bad how do you you know how do you make a smaller scale app that you're charging for compete against a, a big a larger scale app that starts off free you just you just can't win the economics aren't there i think that's a big part of it uh also i mean just in general the the expectations of what makes an app go up i mean remember the early days you know a lot of apps were pretty bare bones and pretty crappy but just the novelty of it being an app you know one of the thousand apps on your phone was a pretty, it was a pretty amazing thing. So you could, you could get pretty far just on that and you could, you could write a niche app and do well, you know, that's, that's what I did when I started out writing niche apps that, you know, that applied to a certain segment of the market and you could, you could do reasonably well doing that. But now every niche is, is, is overloaded and full now. So it's, it's just, it's just much harder for a, for a small team to, to do anything these days. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. And I've been kind of thinking about how uh, before we had universal apps, it was pretty common to have, you know, your iPhone app and then, oh, look, the iPad app, the HD version of the same app is a separate thing we can charge right, for. And right. uh, I was very, I've been yes. very critical of Apple of like, hey, it really would have been great if they didn't absolutely stomp on watchOS development if they had just let developers charge for it. Um, my point there is that I think we could have seen some more interesting watchOS apps come out, but I think the inevitable for software for watchOS as well is like, well, everything's eventually going to be free there too, or free with a net purchase if that was allowed. Um, I think it's just mm-hmm. the, the way of the world, and if Marzipan comes next year, I, I sure hope that Apple just allows developers to, you know, charge differently, you know, make 
think it's easier for us to make, uh, you know, turn iOS apps into something that can run on the Mac. Um, but, you know, still let us charge for it um, and let the market decide. So, like, yeah, if the initial jumping on the Mars of Pan will be like, hey, this is great. I have my, my iPhone app. It was kind of doing okay. But then, hey, look, I can charge, you know, 10 bucks for it on iPad and people, or sorry, on uh, Mac and people will pay. Uh, but eventually there'll be enough competitors that are racing to the bottom as, as we've talked about as a theme on this show. And eventually, like, well, even though Apple allows you to charge, there's no practical way that you could because there's 10 other apps that will use their free iPhone app and then have the same free Mac uh, Marzipanified app. And uh, you just got to find them, make your money somewhere else through IAP or subscriptions or tip jars or something of that nature. Yep. So we were in the middle of signing off there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I thought this was the after show. <laughs> the so, magic of editing. This could be after show. Yeah. This could yeah. be the pre-show, actually. The exactly. magic of editing. Yeah. We could even put this whole thing in we the could. middle. Yeah. Yeah. Or this well, could be its own episode. It's in the middle of the sign-off. episode 201, right, right yeah. here. Yeah. 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 That's right. yeah. So as I said before, this is a, that's it for another week. So, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right, Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs. Mark R at smapsoft.com. And Greg, if people would get a hold of you. I'm also on Twitter as at Greg Hio. All right. And Tammy's fallen off the internet again, so she's Paradox927 on Twitter. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And my, you can find me on the Twitter machine with that handle. And I guess we'll see you for the next 200 episodes. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Okay. See ya. Bye. 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 This is friend of the show Mac and Talk, also known as the Talking Moose, eh? If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Now it's the after show, or, well, the middle of the after show, something like that. Well, I'm going to jump in right away with controversial topic and say that the, the MARTA, the Metropolitan Atlanta something transit authority. authority. Yeah. Like MARTA, regional transit authority. Regional. Thank you. Um, the MARTA is so much nicer than the BART. I don't know the difference in age, but if nothing else, like they run reasonably the same. They look like the cars are around that same seventies ish style of design. Um, the, the thing, I, a couple of things I like better were the payment key. Kiosks. Now, granted, I've not been in the Bay Area for a couple of years, so maybe they've, they've upgraded those. It seemed like it was more sensible here um, and a little easier to understand where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. But the big thing for me is I remember those BART trains getting kind of stuffy and hot, and it doesn't get super hot in the Bay Area or um, WWC. But here it's, I don't know, it was like 95 degrees, 40% humidity. I couldn't even tell while I was in the train, and that super impressed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, BART's 
kind of mediocre. It, it's it's been you know underfunded, under under managed, under uh, maintained for years now. I mean, we're they've been building a BART extension to San Jose for it seems like it's been about ten years now. It was supposed to be finished, finally finished last year, and now they're saying it's not going to be done until next year. And this is only part one. It comes into San Jose, but part of the plan was to have it go all the way into downtown, which which would be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but you know. I'll, I'll be surprised if, if it is finished in my lifetime, to be completely mm. honest. It's really kind of a shame. I hear Toronto has a really good <laughs> they have excellent subways, yes. We do, yes. but again, it's underfunded and underdeveloped and under... Yeah. yeah. So we, I mean, we have, a, we have a good subway and we have a good um, streetcar system, but I think that we don't have enough subway lines. We have like one that goes east-west and one that go, a couple that go north-south, but... They're those really sad, yeah. I've seen diagrams where they're like, public transit around the world, they just show the shape of the lines. And yeah. if you look at like, you know, anything in Asia, it's like, you know, crazy patterns of circles and lines or whatever oh. you look at toronto it's like one it's pretty much just like one going up and down and one going left and right that's pretty much it yeah in the shape a little, of a t a little sad have you ever been to tokyo that's been what i'm the, talking the about that kind of map it's yeah amazing. it's amazing the the interesting thing about Tokyo, the Tokyo subway, is that uh, there is a publicly funded or publicly managed line. The Japan Railroad system is is kind of the ring that goes all the way around Tokyo, and that's the subway. But there's all these other private subways. I've never heard of anything like this. Certainly nothing like that in the U.S., where private companies have built their own subways that that just service a certain part mm-hmm. of the city. And uh, so, if you want to go to a certain part of the city, you'll take one subway and then get off subway and walk half a block and then get on a different subway and go the rest yeah. of the way, um, which is weird, uh, but it goes everywhere. And then I guess there's, you know, there's competition. So, so it actually works pretty well. Wow. Well, Jaime, they are getting, yeah, they are like getting that. new BART trains. I think they're testing them right now, which are air conditioned, have more doors and all of that. So I've seen, I think I saw one go through this. It didn't stop because they're testing them or whatever, but uh, maybe next time you're here, they'll have more new BART trains. Yeah. We have new trains on our... Does Seattle have a subway? at all no not uh we've got this weird mishmash of things we have a the sounder which is a commuter rail which is different than the light rail which is different than our streetcar system hmm. and they're they're building stuff that will take i think it'll take us out to 2025 or something before we see the full system and i think that was only like phase one of the full system um what's that you know, monorail thing you guys have at the, at the at the needle that's a historical oddity left over from the like the 62 63 somewhere in the early 1960s uh, world fair mm-hmm. world's fair yeah yeah it looks sort of retro-y flash gordon-y kind of look to it yeah and um fun fact even though there's two there, so there's two monorail lines that go like right next to each other but in uh, great 1960s wisdom they didn't leave enough space around one critical turn for two trains to go around at the same time which normally isn't an issue but i remember i don't know five to ten years ago they had the monorails get stuck because somebody messed up the timing so they <laughs> squished against each other side by side <laughs> trying to go around <laughs> the same turn nice yeah yeah but i, I actually do want to get to the space needle uh, in the next few months or so while the weather is uh, sunny because I think they just finished the renovations. They did like a full like uh, edge to edge, you know, top to bottom glass sort of renovation of the top rather than having like a catwalk area that was fenced in. I think they're doing right, yeah. that like, you know, super thick glass that you could walk out in front of and you'll feel like you're out in space. Hmm, cool. I was actually kind of surprised to hear that Atlanta had public transit, to be honest. Public transit <laughs> in the South? That sounds crazy. Like I didn't realize there were such things. Kind of half, half joking. Didn't, but Didn't they build that? 
didn't they build that maybe, for the Olympics maybe. or renovate it for the Olympics? Mm, that, yeah. that, that would make sense because I looked at the lines and the lines didn't make a ton of sense to me. Just, you know, granted, I don't really know Atlanta that well, but if, if the gold, yellow, blue, and green line terminate somewhere near, you know, sports venues, then it would make more sense. Um, but it definitely is an improvement. Uh, BART is definitely an improvement over what um, Denver has, which is newer, much newer than, than BART. I'm not, not sure what it is, but it's definitely not 70s. But it, it, it essentially only takes you from the airport to, like, downtown Denver, which is great. You're going to 360. That's I all do. you need, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> It's just like a straight line. <laughs> I think there's a little branch somewhere to go to uh, uh, University of Colorado in Boulder. But other than that, it's as you were talking about, Greg, instead of having these you know interesting circles and spider webs, it's like, nope, it's a line it's <laughs> going a line, back yeah. and forth. <laughs> it might as well be like, you know, Disney World where they just sort of take you back and forth on the choo-choo. <laughs> that reminds me, I was going to ask, uh, who's going to 360 iDev? Um, I have a ticket. don't have That's a it? ticket, just him. but um, depending if uh, things sort of settle down moving and everything else uh, I might consider it maybe I'll get a, a late bird ticket or something hmm. are you speaking there Greg I am yeah so okay. I'll be there yeah. taking that new train last time I was there there was no train so I'm uh, looking forward to that oh from the airport yeah last time I was there there was no train either is that relatively new when did that get finished I think it's relatively new last year maybe yeah. I think people yeah. people <laughs> last year took it did, were you there last year I mean yeah I was there last year yeah yeah you I were took there it then year. and I think it was like a year or two old at that point but Tim you've been to more more three sixty iDevs than I have because yeah, I had a little I think, bit of a gap. I seem, remember, I, think, I seem to remember it was. I remember one year was down in Littleton and uh, I think the cab fare was like 50 bucks a piece or something. For that was like months. a really long time ago, yeah, right? Yeah. I think because I was there 2015 and they said maybe next year you'll be able to take the train to the airport. And I remember, oh, I'll come back next year. But uh, I didn't and I haven't been back. So it's been in the last three years, I think, that they built the thing. I just pasted in excuse me, an animated GIF showing transit systems around the world with the line. The GIF is a little too fast, but this is what I found. Yeah. Yeah, it's way too yeah. fast. Uh, oh, these are all good cities, though. You have to see, like, you know, San Francisco, where it's like a single line, or Toronto, where it's like two lines intersecting, yeah. which is kind of sad. Well, some of those are crazy. I thought Boston was bad. Boston's not no, bad. No, I know. You only got, like, six lines or something like that? Uh, there's four main ones and commuter rail. Right, right. Does the one in Toronto really make this U-turn? It does, yeah. Yeah. What's that, that all Union, about? What, what's, what, it must be an interesting structure there. Well, that's Union it's, Station. That's the downtown area, so there's a lot of stops on both that's sides. That's where I work, right there. Yeah. Between the last yeah, but you say it like I've been there. I've not seen it, that's why I'm asking. Oh, <laughs> you were, the you, oh no, you were at uh, Chateau Montebello. You were in Yeah, That's the downtown, so there's a lot of stops down there. That's all. That's where all the people go. So they just like hang a left around like the CN Tower or something? Basically. It's Union Station at the bottom of the U there, and the CN Tower is around there as well. So yeah, that, that U-turn isn't quite as small as you think it is. It's it's probably like four or five blocks wide. It's not as big as you think it is. You mean? Well, he probably thought it was kind of kind of. Yeah, I thought it was right. like a hairpin turn, like you know. No, no, no. When you're like, oh. I mean, you can go from one leg to the other leg in yeah. What what Tim says, like three or four three or four blocks. So it's not actually that far. Uh, it is a pretty tight turn. Yeah. So my office is right between King Street and and St Andrews, which is like the second last two stops on, and then the one right below that is. Union Station. So very often I'll take like the I'll take a bus to the subway and then get off at Union Station and just walk a little bit north of my office hmm. in the path, which is the old underground tunnel system. Mark, you didn't go to Swift Fest in Boston? Visit the old uh, the old stomping grounds? Where it is was, it? Or just passed. It was this week, Monday and Tuesday. Oh, 
No, I didn't go. I saw some good tweets from there, people there. So I had a little, uh, had a little FOMO. <laughs> yeah. Where, uh, where did they hold it? Do you know? Uh, I don't okay. remember. Let me, let me look it up. Not the big, not the Heinz Convention Center, surely, but it was something else. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's not big enough for that. Yeah. Uh, was it at the hotel? No, it was the Calderwood Pavilion Conference Hall. Oh, Do you know where that is? What's that? Maybe it's at the university campus, actually. Uh, what university? <laughs> there's, there's many. Yeah, of them. no, I'm thinking like Boston University or something, but I don't know. I'd have to go look. So New York has a, uh, I'll call it a comprehensive subway system. <clears throat> have you guys ever been on it? It'll take you wherever you want to go, but man, that's that's the best thing you can say about it. <laughs> it's a miserable experience. Yeah, I've been that Oh, it's dirty and hot and smelly. Yeah, it gets you where you want to go. That's uh, it, get, it for sure gets you where and you want to go. They did that's start, true. like um, whoever was telling the story about um, Tokyo, I think you were. Uh, they did start as whatever, two or three separate subway systems, and they all kind of got together. Uh, no, yeah, that yeah. That's why some of the lines, like you would think, why would they build two lines like right next to each other going downtown? And it's because they used to be two competing mm. systems and then they got into oh, So okay. if you look, yeah. like the trains are slightly different. Like if you're on the numbered, like if you're on the one versus like the A, like you'll mm-hmm. notice like the trains aren't mm-hmm. the same. They're slightly different. Um, mm-hmm. It's near Back Bay in Boston, um, Mark. I'm looking at the Back Bay T station. Yeah, it's so- around that area. So it looks like it's not part of any university. It's just kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No, not the middle of nowhere, but yeah. Yeah, I used to live by there. Oh, actually. okay. Not, not too far from there. Back Bay is uh, the part of Boston that used to be, well, this is like two, almost 150 years ago, used to be actually water. Or I was going to say, it is very and, far inland for a place called Back Bay. It's like... Yeah, no. So Boston used to be a, uh, a peninsula where where downtown Boston was was kind of like a, a ball on a stick, if you want to think about it still kind of looks like a, that, but I... There, okay. There was a, yeah. There was kind of a, a neck of land that would go out to, to the roundish downtown town yeah. boston and and the charles river uh used to basically have this this big marsh connected to it that kind of went south and and met the neck of boston uh and uh that was the back bay and that's that's why there was the one if by land two if by sea mm. thing paul revere because because the the land approach to boston was very narrow back then so it made sense for a an army if you want to invade boston you could just kind of come up the neck of boston and you could close it off it's not like it is now where you can get there from almost any direction. Mm. Uh, but in the, in the I'm going to say the 1800s, probably early 1800s or so, at some time, they filled in uh, the the back bay. So a little bit of history is there's a there's a major road in downtown Boston called Tremont Street, uh, which is one of the main roads in, in downtown Boston, which which is, you know, comes from the Latin for three mountains, right? Three hills, Tremont. Uh, I think it's Latin. French. Maybe French. Oh, I don't French. know, whatever. Uh, yeah. But which, you know, which came from Latin. But anyway... But there are no hills there. So, you know, why was this called Three three Hill Road when there's no hills there? Well, there used to be hills, and they took the dirt from the hills, they knocked the hills down, and used it to fill the back bay. You should bay. do that in San Francisco, knock some of these hills down. Yeah, mm. yeah. The yeah, convention center's on Tremont, Tremont and Berkeley Street. Tremont That's Street? That's it is, yeah. Tremont and which? Berkeley. Cross Street. Berkeley, yeah. okay. Yep, yep. I know the area. I, it probably didn't exist when I lived there, the convention center, at least. Anyway, that's our history lesson for <laughs> Boston history with Dr. Rubin. Boston history. Dr. Rubin himself, the elusive Dr. Rubin. Hey,
Yes, the Twitter elusive. How can I be elusive you, you, when I'm right here? Uh, here? No, no, I said the Twitter elusive. Twitter elusive. If you read the yeah. read the post. Uh, I like it. Just elusive in general. I kind of like that. Yes, it's my phantom menace word. I guess it has kind of a uh, a uh, man of mystery kind of mm. uh, theme. The to elusive Doctor Rubin. So, Mark, when you were down in the lobby yeah. of the Marriott, did people like yeah. recognize you and come up to you, or were they like looking around saying, "Are you the MTJC guy?" How did that? I didn't actually see the people walk up. There were already like three people when I got there. Yeah. So so interestingly enough, so in a session before that, uh, Dan Beauregard just mm. walked right up to me and said, "You're Mark, right?" Yeah, and and I guess he'd seen the tweet or something. So so he recognized me. Okay. Uh, then in the Marriott. I kind of had the shirt sitting out, so uh, so right. uh, okay. yeah. So the first guy figured it out pretty easily, <laughs> and then once once that happened, there but you know other people saw it. Yeah, like I said, I got stopped on the street once by somebody. Actually, no. so that counts. Yeah, yeah. Really? Mm. The first time I got recognized was at um, RW DevCon, I think, two years ago. Somebody because we had the big names on our name tags. Ah, yeah. Just read my name because I yeah. know who you are. They are big name tags with big names printed on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, these name tags were pretty small. Yeah, the dub dub ones and the all cov ones don't even have your name on it, so hard to oh, yeah, yeah. hard to see. And I kept noticing that my badge was flipped around, so it was just the blank backside showing. <laughs> yeah, they gotta make them double sided. I think some people yeah. put like stickers yeah. and other things on the back, but they should really print your name on both sides and make maybe make it bigger. But yeah. that probably is not Apple. You know, it's not the Apple aesthetic to have like. A giant word on there, probably. True. That's bad. true. Do they give you lanyards at AltConf uh, as well? Uh, I think if you're a speaker, we had sponsor ones as well. So we had like a whole box, we had a whole envelope full of one, full of them. Um, I think speakers and um, if you pay for a ticket, for uh, hero supporter tickets, I think. Because AltConf is free, but you can yeah, pay. Right. You get like a guaranteed seat. Yeah. I think those folks got uh, got lanyards. Yeah. All right. What time is it over there on the East Coast? Yeah. Oh, it's 1224. 1224. Mm-hmm. All right. Jaime, you have a talk tomorrow right. or today, we should say? I do. Uh, not until noon, so I don't really even have to get up super early. Okay. Um, Still, though. When did you fly in? Just today? Are you on Eastern time yeah, already? Or have you been there for to, a while? I had to fly in stupid early. Were, uh, okay. I had, to, I had to get up at like 2 in the morning so I could get picked up at oh, 3. You did a daytime flight? Yeah. Not a red eye? Well, okay. might as well have been a red eye because, I, <laughs> you know, my flight was at 6.15 in the morning. It didn't land until 2 local time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was actually a better experience than I thought when I saw, oh, Boeing 757. I was like, oh, they haven't made those in like 10 years. It's going to be an old, ugly Those plane. are good planes. I like those planes. The, they actually upgraded the interior, which is a mm. little surprising for Delta. Uh, had some decent, but, you know, not great in-flight entertainment. The mm. um, overhead bins and general, you know, seating arrangement was a whole lot better than I thought it would be having flown on some older 757s with Delta. Uh, okay. um, United uses the 757s for their premium, like LAX and San Francisco to New York. That's what they use for their like the premium routes. They actually have them pretty well. Uh, the interiors are pretty nice. Yeah, and it is unholy hot here, and it's not the temperature so much. It's the <laughs> fact that the humidity is enough to where sweat doesn't help cool you because it doesn't evaporate. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm drinking some cokes here because they're probably illegal to sell Pepsi. I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Atlanta experience. You're drinking Coke and you flew Delta, right? That's what you do when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you have to eat some peach pie. Yeah, I I was trying to go to this uh, VIP dinner event for the speakers, and I went down the wrong peach tree because there's like a dozen of them in the downtown area. <laughs> Court, Avenue, Parkway, Boulevard, you know, that sort of thing. Do you have some stickers and T-shirts with you? No, I 
It's so dumb. I, I didn't have any of that ready because I was like uh, getting stuff prepared to sell the house and move out and all this other stuff. So everything's been sort of fallen by the wayside. We also launched a, a big uh, project at work. Um, is that the emergency account thing? Did you work on that or is this something else? I didn't work on that. I had a very tiny piece that I helped with, okay. but th- this is another thing that I, I probably can't talk about because we only have okay. a handful of customers who are seeing it. Um, but it's a pretty big deal for the company and you might have seen our manager uh, having jumped in to help us because um, Apple decided to reject our, our bill because they didn't understand how the Apple Pay stuff worked. Mm-hmm. The Apple Pay stuff that's been unchanged for the past three years. So it was uh, it was quite a stressful last weekend and uh, early part of this week. Hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So the month of June has definitely been <laughs> quite a strain on my, my sanity. So I'll, I'll be very glad to uh, have been finally moved out and uh, calling into this very podcast uh, from my new place in, in Everett. Cool. Mm-hmm. We'll hear the airplanes flying overhead a little more then, huh? Maybe, maybe, because I'll, I'll be ne- certainly closer to where I would think the planes would go because Boeing's factory is there. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, I don't even know. It's not like I look out the window when, uh, when we're recording. So for all I know, maybe these are more like smaller, noisier private jets versus uh, like the big 777s and 747s that have, you know, millions upon millions of dollars of noise reduction in engineering put into them. Hmm. Tim, how do we get a sticker refill? Do I have to pick them up in person next time or uh, mail a giant I'm kind of running box? low on them. I probably get some new ones made up. Okay. Yeah, I was... You can like ship them. Can you like, do they come from the US? Can you like order um, them and have them shipped directly to Mark? Possibly. I don't know. I have to check and see. I had to order, I think I ordered like a thousand initially. So hmm. I split up, I sent some to Jaime and some to Mark. And... Okay. But I'm actually thinking of doing a pin, like a, like a oh, right. struck yeah. pin, you know? Yeah. Stickers are always good though. You always have to have stickers. Yeah, pins, for the, for the laptops like extras, stuff. Right? Yep, yep. Yeah. I think you need to get a hat. Oh my god, it's Tammy. Who's that? <laughs> MTJC hat, yeah. Tell me more, Tammy, like uh, like an ironic trucker hat style that's... I don't know, it was popular. It was uh, canvas, right? No, you need the, the exact kind of hat that Tammy wears, but just with like a more than just code logo on it. Yeah, you gotta get an unstructured hat. The structured hats are weird. Structured. Did you know, like, they got the kind that stand up on the top. Those are, those are structured. Okay. Hats, pins... Stickers. Send them all to the MTJC West Coast headquarters. I don't know what that is. Is that Jaime's new place or Mark's place? I don't know, but send them to there. Send them to there and I'll get them somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mark has a Code 42 pin for me. Yeah. I do. It's right here, hmm? in fact. It's right wow. here. I have it in my hand. Mark, did you remember to grab a, a handful of those unicorn pins so you can sell them on eBay? <laughs> I, I do have a few unicorn pins. Somebody uh, gave me one of the um, happy face ones. I on eBay, though. I have one in, in the package from w, from 2018. I should look quickly and see how much these are selling for. How much did we, we found it? something crazy that, like, the jackets, like, the, the newer jackets, the jean jackets they started doing. Yeah, it was $500. $900. Oh but, but it's the $40 for just the, the air kit pin. It's a pin. $40 for the initial set of five pins that you get. $70 from a close your rings. $15 for an emoji one. Yeah, I could uh, I could sell some of the pins. Yep, somebody's selling a jacket for five hundred bucks yeah. right now with the pins. Unicorn is fifty dollars. I see. Yeah. Really? Ooh. Well, that one you had to kind of not work. You, you had to like do something to get the unicorn, like the AR kit one. You had to actually play the game to get it. So that one I can see as being a little more valuable. Oh, I didn't know they were giving away a pin for that. The lines were so long, I never even tried. Mm, yeah, yeah, I wanted to get that one, but uh, I had to get some of the. Yeah, the lines were pretty long. Yeah. Oh, someone is selling like a complete, I don't know if it's complete, 21 pins from 2017 and 2018 and the wristband for $880. 
Wow. I should have saved my wristband. I wonder if I still have it because maybe that's worth something. Like intact? Like put some grease on your wrist and some Crisco yeah. and try sliding it off? I, I got mine off too. There. Well, the guy who put it on was like, oh, I'll make it a little loose so it's comfortable. Wink, wink. And he put it on like very, very loose. Um, so I think mm. uh, I think I might still have mine somewhere too. But yeah, this is a... So, Greg, which pins did you get in your initial packet? Um, I think I got the California, the Bear, the Dog Cow, and... Uh, Maybe the Apple Heart, the Rainbow Logo Heart, and one other one I can't remember. Yeah, I didn't get the dog. Okay, cow. that's the one I wanted. So that's I all got, I cared about. Yeah, I got. Uh, well, I'd have to go find it, but I got. I got the California one. I got the the heart one. I think I got the bear one too, and I got a couple of others okay. as well. Definitely got the dog again. That's that's the only one I wanted really. And last year I think I got the yeah, Swift no, one, and I got the classic Mac, the little smiling Mac uh, icon one. And those are really the ones I wanted. So I'm pretty much set for mm-hmm. the ones that I wanted. Yeah, and I have the. Uh, did you get the American flag one? Or the Canadian I did get the American flag because I used the American account last year. The guy let me switch it, so I got a Canadian pin last year. Uh, but this year they were like, "No, no, you have to find someone to switch with." So I found uh, one of my old friends in Toronto. Uh, he's American, but he lives in Toronto now, and he got a Canadian one. Mm. But he said he actually wants an American, so it was perfect. We swapped. So you trade? Yeah, we Good. traded. So yeah. it all worked yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. I got the uh, yeah the California, the heart, the bear, uh, a hamburger, and an App Store A. <laughs> oh, an App Store. That's pretty cool. Yeah, not sure what the logic was behind uh, which ones I mean, you some, got. I think they were just random. I think everyone got the California, and then yeah. you just got four random ones after that. Yeah. There was one that they gave out when you went to the bash as well, but I don't remember what. That, that was, was the uh, emoji with star eyes. I think. I think everyone got oh, that, that one. one. Okay, yeah. I think everyone yeah. got that one. Yep. I got that one. Yep. Somebody gave it to me. There's an AR one. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that one looks. Pretty, it's got the little. Cube. Yeah, that's what we were saying. You had to go to the. You had to play that uh, game, uh, Swift Shot, and then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whoever won the game would get it. I think. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's, one, there's one on here for four dollars. Another one on here for eighty eighty six dollars for the same pin. Uh, well, there's a uh, you know resale opportunity. You should buy it for four and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll probably keep the pins. I'm too lazy to put them up here for auction. But maybe I'll keep them in the original packaging and I'll sell them someday. There you go. So twenty years from now, you can sell them for hundred dollars instead of fifty. Mm, exactly. <laughs> but by then, inflation will mean that's actually nothing. But there's actually not as many as right. I thought. Sure. I just I searched WWDC pins and there's only thirty results. I thought there'd be more for some reason reason but i guess it makes sense it looks like just based on, on what's on ebay it looks like there were fewer pins this year than last yeah year. last year they were like pin crazy yeah uh, there were way more pins last year for sure oh, i found my 2004 wwc t-shirt did you buy t-shirts mark you did stand in line right you got t-shirts i did get yeah, some okay. t-shirts yeah yeah the lines there were also so long i didn't i didn't go but well the time i went there was nobody there actually i think it was on it was either on thursday or friday no, they closed the store i think they sold first, out so it must have been thursday it might have been thursday yeah. first thing in the morning when I got there. Okay. So it was like 8.30. It was early uh, and there was no line at all. So I went in and there was still a little bit of stuff left. So that's why I got uh, shirts for uh, Jaime and, and Tammy um, there. But uh, I didn't get you one, Greg. That's okay. I didn't know. The tape. If it's episode two hundred, that means it's four years. Is that for real? I almost don't believe it. But yeah, at least once in a while, right? Yeah, but August eighth is our anniversary, so mm. around around there, seventh or eighth, somewhere in there. Let me go to the. If you go to the Fireside site and you look at the host, you can see how many episodes you've actually done. Did that import mm. all of the? Um, I know, like on the word. No, I had to man. I had to manually do a lot of. Uh, that. Okay. 
So, I mean, like, and, and they had to mess around with the numbers a bit, so... Yeah, but to, to Greg's point, it, uh, it's very close because if it was precisely one per week over four years, it'd be 208 episodes. Mm-hmm. And because we take yeah. a break, and because we have some lost episodes that we've left the number, uh, you know, we've retired the jersey number for those. Oh, it gets a little right. complicated, yeah. but that's that's for people to, for future scholars to argue about as to how precisely <laughs> when the two-year mark went. Say, they're going to, like, scour Tim's hard drive and look for the lost bits of, like, those episodes and try to piece them together. Kind of like um, Tolkien's son is doing that with the unfinished tales, you know? Kind of like that. I, ha- I haven't thrown those ones away yet, so I, have not, I haven't given up hope yet. You know, there may be maybe some miracle technology in the future. Um, Mark, I pasted a link to the last episode in the Slack there. I don't know if you saw it. I just wanted to see what you thought about my artwork for the, the um, e-ticket. Oh. I, I literally ripped off Disney. You were talking at the conference, Tim, and uh, admiring your artwork skills, I think. Uh, I brought that up with Mark. Who? Yeah. Mark. Oh, our Mark? Yeah, the guy on the call right here i was uh i what forget what we were talking Ruben? about about the show but that was like the artwork that's some good stuff yeah oh really huh. yeah this one took me a while it looks cool all my illustrator skills i was saying we you, probably, was that an actual we don't see that start from an actual ticket yeah somebody had posted i went and looked up e-ticket and then yeah. somebody had done a like if you look on i actually have all all five tickets flared mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and i had you know figure out the i had to estimate the length of them because they ran off the ran off the crop picture but yeah, yeah so i did a b c d as well cool I didn't change the content on each card, though. But yeah, hopefully Disney's lawyers aren't listening. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no, they're all drunk right now because they just acquired Fox. Did they? Uh, yeah, 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 they, they, they uh, they're dead to like seventy-three billion something like that. And uh, I think I saw like a Verge or Ars Technica article just before we got on online here that said like, "Yep, it's official now. They've they've gone for it." Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, it requires regulatory approval, but uh, it looks like Comcast is left out in the cold. Wow. Mm. So we've been talking about on Spotcast. We were let's just digress for a minute and talk about spotcast for a second time but we've been talking about that on on that show for a while right we talked about it a handful of times while we're in hiatus and all sorts of weird things are happening you know with right. relation to was- uh star trek discoveries showrunners and they, they fired yet another one and then they said hey this other one will be here for five years and maybe patrick stewart comes back as jean-luc picard and there's gonna be five count them five goes in works it's it's somebody's smoking some crack over there at uh, cbs it seems mm, yeah by the way you're breaking up just a touch i'm not yeah. surprised because I just saw a little thing from Zoom tell me that my uh, my internet is unstable. So yeah, well, that was fuck. a lot more than the touch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a throat punch, kind of break up what that was. <laughs> Says the woman at the end of the end of the internet. I assume it's just because it's so damn humid here, like forty percent humidity, something like that. So the the Wi Fi probably struggles a little bit with all the all, all the, the extra moisture. Yeah, all the water in the, in the air blocking the bit. down. Yeah, you mm-hmm. think? Okay, well, I guess so. I don't know. I think it, it, is it. A, is it, are you at a conference or something? Or yeah, I'm speaking at the We Rise Tech Conference uh, tomorrow morning, or I guess technically lunchtime tomorrow. Um, right. So, yeah, here here in Atlanta, right. three hours yeah, ahead. So, it's yeah. And thirty eight. I mean, other people <laughs> are probably downloading Xcode and stuff while you're trying to do this, right? No, in fact, <laughs> no. I should probably start shutting down tabs in case they're doing some Ajax calls in the background or something. Maybe your backblaze <laughs> yeah. is backing itself up or something. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, feel like I should tell Dropbox. Pause. Thank you. Do they have Ethernet Dropbox. at the hotel that you're at, Hyman? I haven't seen that in a while, I, but I think I saw one when I was at um, San Jose, the place I was staying at for the day, still had Ethernet. I don't see so it, which would Airbnb actually be a nice hotel. premium option, because I actually do have my adapter with no, I don't, I don't see it. Mm, too bad. Well, whatever you did, you sound better already. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen Ethernet at hotels, but it doesn't always work for some reason. I guess, I don't know if they would they really care if most people are using Wi-Fi these days, right? You know, it depends All right, on the, the amount of money you're paying. I, I uh, 
I went with my fiance. We went to, um, I think it was Alderbrook Resort. Pretty pricey, but we went to sort of like a like a spa type of vacation, mini vacation. And uh, we could not get our Roku to work because we brought the wrong model. We brought the one that doesn't have the automatic connecting sort of fanciness like the way that uh, the newer ones have, which we actually do own, but we didn't we didn't bring that one. And it's sort of intended to be for dormitories or go to hotels. And oh, look, it just like asks your phone to connect on behalf and, and syncs up all the information. And they, you know, I just asked the concierge, like, hey, I've got this problem. Uh, can you help me out? And they had an IT guy come out and specifically open up like a one-off Wi-Fi access point for us just so we could stream wow. some stuff while we were staying there. Well, no wonder your signal's no good. Everybody's using Roku in the other rooms. <laughs> Everybody's streaming 4K television on Netflix right now. Yeah, they're watching the FIFA soccer stuff or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned, yeah, it's been yeah. a, a crazy month. So no, it's been a long time. Man. All right, yeah. Selling uh, everything I can, just that, that doesn't make sense to move or ship. Uh, I was super proud that I sold my 55 inch 1080p Samsung um, TV for 300 bucks, which when I was at Best Buy the last time, you could get a 4K TV for like 400. But uh, I sold it real well too when the dude came over because he was kind of hemming and hawing online. <laughs> and uh, of course, I had the beautiful World Cup playing, you know, bright HD. That kind of convinced him. That allowed him to visualize himself watching sports. <laughs> Crazy. All right. All right then. Yeah. Sounds late over there. It is late over here. It is. And yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm. Talk to you later. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Good night, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.